International. What's going on, you pleasant folks out here partying in reality number one? This one, our one, a shared experience. My name is Joey Zimmerman, and welcome to episode number two of The Listening Room. The Listening Room is a live storytelling show held second Saturdays at Genuine Joe's, uh, 8 p.m. free up here in Austin, Texas. New stories and new storytellers every month, uh, no theme. Expect a fun variety. I just get some of my favorite comedians and special guests to come out and share something from their perspective of this human thing we are in. And oh boy, what a doozy we were in for episode two. Uh, What a great time. Great stories from Michael Folk, Andrew Cooksey, Alan Edwin Butt, and Austin Smart. You can follow all these fine folks. Um, Michael Folk, at Michael Folk. Andrew Cooksey at Andrew M. Cooksey, Alan Edwin Butt at Alan E. Butt, Austin Smart at Austin Smart, and you can follow me at Joey Z-I-M-M-E, and you can even follow The Listening Room on Twitter now, The Listening Room XX on Twitter, Um, follow for good stories and good tales. Uh, This episode, I told a nice tale of doing LSD in Nebraska, eating some LSD in the (laughs) N.E., Oh, my family will disown me by the end of episode five. Just you wait. <laughs> no, they they listen and they love they love the show. Um, always been very open about me with the show. And thank you so much to everyone who listens to the show, all my friends. Um, thank you to the people who come out to the show and everyone who is a part of it. Um, fun announcement here. Do 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 do. November sixth, I will be performing uh, the listening room at the Sound on Sound Music Festival at the Two Nights Show uh, at the Globe Stage at Sound on Sound. So if you're there, hey, come out that Sunday and check out the listening room. What a fun time! Thank you so much to the Sound on Soundboard people, JT Kelly, Body Tape Intl for producing this for me, Ethan and Donna. Thank you so much. Um, And thank you to everyone who comes up to the show and has a good time in that room. It's awesome that I get to do that and then record it and then put it out online. And everyone gets to have that experience that happened in that room online. What a crazy, cool thing this world is. Man, it's wild. The world's beautiful. Hey, here's episode number two. Um, Subscribe it. Rate to it. Review it. Tell me how much you like it. I'm having a lovely time in this world. It's a beautiful place. I'm Stardust. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. Saturday every month at Genuine Joe's, where you are now. Thank you for being in the space and the experience. Uh, we're going to tell some stories. Um, some will be silly, probably, maybe. Some will be sad. That's cool, too. Maybe a mixture of both. Hey, what about that? That'd be tight. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Palette for everyone. Um, like I said, this is like a live uh, recorded podcast, so uh, 
don't say anything stupid to my friends <laughs> that come up here, all right? Um, some people might say something, who knows, just keep it to yourself. It'll be a good time. Um, though if someone asks something, you know, like interacts with you, you mean, give, give a little, give a little, give a little, take a little, you know, a little participation. It'll be a good time. It'll be a really good time. Um, actually, we have uh, so many talented folks on tonight. There's a lot of them that have uh, so many other places and shows to be. So we're very fortunate to have uh, a lot of very talented performers today. Please give it up for everyone I have on the show. Thank you guys so much for coming out. You want to start this thing? Hey, let's do it. Hey, uh, your first storyteller of the night. Uh, you can catch me at the New Movement NEM mostly every day. He's, he's there a lot. Uh, big show. Uh, this is Hand Bomb, 8 p.m. at the New Movement every single Thursday. Uh, everybody give it up for Michael Folk. Our high five turned into a weird, like, sort of namaste hand hug, uh, which was really pleasant. Um, this is cool. I feel like I'm in, like, a really, really nice, like, AA meeting <laughs> where, like, everyone showed up. This is great. I'm glad that you guys are all doing it. Um, cool. So I used to be in a Christian screamo band. Does everyone know what Christian screamo is? Yes. It's when you just, like, fucking love God so much, you gotta, like, you gotta scream about it and wear a lot of eyeliner. Um... <laughs> I did. I used to, my, my patented look was strung out eyes. Um, you know, strung out for Christ. Um, I had like sort of like a maroon thing I was doing with the shadow that I put around um, just because I was loving God so much. Um, but like also, like we were kind of a successful Christian screamo band. Like we were doing pretty good, played Cornerstone a lot. We were like, we were like friends with like bands like Under Oath and stuff. Um, everyone's like, don't care. Um, but I cared a lot of the time and I was trying so hard to do it because I was like, I wanted to have my life figured out because, spoiler alert, big, big, big reveal in there. I was like so fucking gay. Um, and I was like, I was trying to like get God in between me and all the cock I wanted to suck. Right. And I was like, I was trying to like put him there and like, but then I was like, he was also sort of like not really corporeal and I could just see through him. And I was like, there's cock behind you, God. Um, and so I was having a really hard time. And I tried to like dive way into religion and then I found myself in a Christian screamo band. We were very good at it. Um, but we used to, we were kind of like a bad Christian screamo band because um, we like drank and smoked cigarettes. And um, one of my favorite achievements of that was um, there was a church in Georgetown that banned their youth group from seeing us. <laughs> How sexy is that, right? <laughs> Don't go see that, that screamo band that smokes and drinks. I'm pretty sure the lead singer's a faggot. And I was. <laughs> I was. They were so spot on. Um, but I, so we used to go hang out at this place. We'd go all over the place, but we used to go hang out at our friend's place in Canyon Lake. Does anyone know Canyon Lake? No, a little bit? Yeah. It's super scuzzy, right? Um, so it's kind of scuzzy. It's like a place where people go to spend some time around the lake, but whenever you live there, you live a little bit in squalor, um, right? And so my friends, James and Ryan, had a house there. And I'm using that term lightly. They had the shell of a house that a wealthy couple had not completed building. And so they started renting it out in between because they ran out of money. So it had power, but no running water. And they rented it out to James for a hundred bucks a month. Pretty solid deal. No running water though. Um, and so James lived there and we would go party there and hang out and smoke weed and everyone else would do a bunch of blow and all that stuff. And I thought it was so romantic, 
right? I thought it was so bohemian, and I was like, we're artists, and yeah, we're artists, and we live, like, everyone's just staying in this, like, shell of a house with no running water because art. Um, and, and I loved it too because people would always offer me blow, which I thought was so romantic because I'm way too much of a coward for it, right? They'd be like, Do you want some blow? And I was like, No, thank you so much for asking me, though. That's so sweet. I, I, you think I do cocaine? Do I look like I do cocaine? Do I look amazing? Is that what's going on? But I was too afraid of it and I'm glad I didn't. Um, but they used to have like parties there all the time. And so there were no doors in the house and there were no beds. James's bed was a bunch of old clothes that they had stolen from a donation bin, like one of those ones that's like on the street. They had stolen all, they'd broken into it, stolen all the clothes, put the clothes into big black trash bags, and then put sheets over it <laughs> to make a bed. Um, it worked. I mean, it, like you could sleep on it. There were no doors, and there was tons of expensive electronic equipment. Um, but no running water. I want to emphasize that at all. Like, they had really, really nice stereo. And so we were having a party there one time. Tons of liquor. And we were, you know, being Christian. Um, and um, earlier that night, Ryan, James's girlfriend, had broken up with him. Oh, no. And James was kind of nuts. So James was, like, getting really lit and doing a bunch of drugs and freaking out. And I was like there trying to like kind of like get maybe a guy to make out with me at some point but also like maybe put hands on him and pray you know I was like I gotta pray over your dick I don't know dude um and I was like flirting with people and James comes out and like Jim storms out of the house onto the patio and slams the door and I meddle um I have to like fix things I've got this weird like Libra sense where I'm like I've got to balance out problems and so like a fucking idiot I go outside to see what's wrong with James and he's like freaking out and storming around and I realize at that moment that he's carrying around the most petite knife. Um, it's like one of those little like keychain ones that's kind of serrated and it's sort of like a little oval and he's carrying it around and he's waving it around and he's like, that fucking bitch, that fucking guy, I can't fucking believe it. And I'm like, what's going on, dude? And he's like, Ryan, and Ryan is a girl in this story, like just to make it clarify. Ryan showed up with another guy and I was like, whatever dude doesn't matter don't worry about it he's like i'm gonna go in there i'm gonna fucking gut him and i was like no we're christian <laughs> you know right and i was like trying to like spit some weird rhetoric and like and like i was like no god what um and he's like no i'm gonna fucking gut that motherfucker and i was like dude there's no running water like don't like we can't take care of this at all and <laughs> He's like, no, I'm going to fucking cut somebody tonight. It was just me and him out on the patio. And I was like, okay, dude, it's just you and me. And I'm drunk also. And I'm like, it's just you and me, okay? What are you going to do? Are you going to fucking cut me? I'm your good friend. And he does. <laughs> the fucker reaches out with his petite, sophisticated knife and slashes my arm. I have a big scar from it. Um, and I, so, and I'm not tough. Um, wait, wait, I'm sorry. I'm super tough. Um, and so I grab his wrist, pull the knife out of his hand, and throw it over the balcony into, like, the, like, sort of wooded area. And I don't, like, get in a fight. I'm just like, you need to get your shit together! And, like, I couldn't, like, I just kept saying it. I was like, you need to get your shit together, James! Um, and then he got really apologetic, and he, when we go inside, he's like, I'm so sorry, I'm freaking out, man. And I was like, I know, whatever, you know, God. Um, and so I go inside, there's no fucking running water, and my arm is gushing blood. It's like pouring down my arm. But what there is a shit ton of is 151. 
151 is a very strong alcohol. You can set it on fire. Um, so I pour 151 all over my arm, um, over the sink, and there's also no first aid kit. So I wrap it in like tightly in some like basic like paper towels and I like think about it and I'm like I can't go anywhere I'm wasted I'm in the middle of nowhere also I don't get paid until Monday so I don't have the gas to drive back to Austin until two days from then so I keep hanging out after my friend cut me and I end up there's this guy there named Macon who's like a real big fuck up and so of course I really wanted to like fuck him and I knew it was never gonna happen but I was like I might as well just be his best friend then so Macon's like I gotta go by my mom house to get some more weed and I'm like I'll come with you dude on the off chance that we'll fall in love um, and he's like bad news he's like it's so good that we didn't so I get in his car like kind of bleeding from the arm wrapped in a paper towel and we go to his mom's house which is a trailer and I pass out on the couch like he starts watching TV and like separating weed and I'm like okay I'm gonna just I'm gonna do this for a second um, I wake up to the glass coffee table shattering Macon has a hammer in his hand and he's screaming at his stepdad and his stepdad's like you gotta get the fuck out of here you piece of shit and he's like you're a piece of shit and I'm like oh, I'm so tired I can't with these Canyon Lake folks so like we rush out to the car we drive back to James's place everyone's passed out all over the place I'm still bleeding from the arm I still don't get paid till the next day so uh, we end up waking up in the morning and I fall asleep on some clothes wake up in the morning and everyone goes to Subway including Ryan including James including the guy that Ryan like Ryan brought to the party including Macon so it's just a bunch of people that like fucked up their lives like just a bunch of 20 year olds that were like that like just needed to quit Right, and we're all sitting in the subway at like 10.30 a.m. Like just realizing what we are and like looking around and just feeling like, oh no, we're the worst version of this. Um, and then my payment goes through and I get my sandwich to go. I get in my uh, shitty Mustang with no back seat and I drive back to Austin and civilization. Um, I still stayed in a Christian Screamo band for another year, um, and then I came out, and life's a lot better. Life's a lot better now. But uh, watch out for Canyon Lake. It's a scary place. <laughs> Michael Folk, everyone! There he goes! To do another show, like a show fairy, constantly spreading happiness around. That's good. Keep it going for him. Keep it going for Michael. One more time. Hell yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah! Your next performer also has somewhere to go. You can see her all around town. She's killing it. Next show, uh, October 19th. Show hosted by Chris Cubis up at the Sting B. Everyone give it up for Austin Smart! Sorry, I just had a moment. Have you ever had moments where you're like, man, I wish I could do acid here? It's <laughs> like you hit a moment in time, like, yeah, this would be Ryan's. This is one of those I like walked past that flashback. Uh, okay, so this is this is an odd story. I've told it in like more comedic ways, but I'm gonna try and just tell it exactly as it happened, which is something I don't really do a lot. I usually exaggerate different portions of it. Uh, so we'll see how this goes. This might be a bit of a bummer. It might not be. Uh, we're all in this little ride together. Uh, so I grew up in a very, very small town in the north area of Texas near Oklahoma called Bonham, Texas. And if you know where that is, 
one, I don't know why you would know where it is, and two, like you know how horrible the place it is. It's just tiny, in the middle of nowhere, nothing around it. So being a little gay kid in Texas, like thinking I was a little gay kid in Texas was always interesting, it was really weird. I was involved in theater and did a lot of weird theatery things. Uh, and eventually this guy that was a theater teacher and kind of a mentor in my life moved away. He got a better job at a better school, and it was great for him, it was awesome for him. But that meant we got a new theater teacher, and I was very nervous about this. I did not know how I would feel about this new teacher. Uh, theater was kind of my refuge, the place that I went to like feel okay about everything. So her name was Miss Wilson. She was 26 years old, and I ended up just like fucking the shit out of her for like six weeks. <laughs> it was awesome. It was great. It was a great thing for a 16-year-old kid to get to do. It really was. It was just like, oh, this is what I've been waiting for for so long. And it came up because I, I was trying to confide in her like I did in my old theater teacher. I was trying to, like, find that person to, like, have a safe place with. And I was just like, yeah, you know, I remember us texting one day. Already can tell her professional lines are blurred by texting a 16-year-old high school student. I was like, yeah, it's really weird. Like, I wish I could find some guys to date or at least someone to sleep with, but I just can't. And she was like, well maybe you could find a girl to sleep with and just imagine it's a guy. I was like, no, it's not. That wouldn't really work. She's like, is there no one in this town that likes anal? I was just like, oh, that's a very forward text message from a teacher. <laughs> I was like, I don't think so. I was like, I don't think any of the girls in the town would really be into that. It doesn't seem like they're M.O. And she was like, well, I like anal. And I was like, oh, Okay. So since I was, like, highly involved in theater and, like, an officer in the theater program, I was able to, like, just spend one-on-one -on -one time with her. So after one at play practice, like, on the mattress we were using in the play, we would, like, fuck, and then the next day at rehearsal, I'd get to watch people, like, pretend to, like, sleep on a bed. It was a really fun thing for me to do. And it was nice for a minute. It was, like, a thing that we had together, and it helped me get through, like, a weird, hard time. But then I just started seeing red flags pop up that she was kind of fucking crazy. Because I was 16, so the fact that she was texting me wasn't like a red flag enough. Like, oh, I need to back the fuck off. So one day, uh, she was like, well, do you want to finally put it in my ass? And I was like, yes! Like, 16-year-old me was all on board with that. It was very much about it. I was like, I don't have any lube, though. She's like, oh, you can just use spit. I was like, word, not right on. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, and like started fucking her in the ass. And then after like two minutes, I was like, um, your your ass is bleeding. She's like, oh, it does that all the time. It's okay. I was like, oh. Mm. I was like, I think you've been doing this wrong. Like if that happens every time you have anal sex, you're having anal sex wrong. Like I've, this is my second time doing it, and I know that. <laughs> She's like, no, no, it's fine. Just go ahead. I was like, oh, I really feel better not. So I ended up just coming inside of her, but after I did that, I was like, panicky 60-year-old me in that whole post-cum guilt, just like, please take a plan B. Please just take a plan B. I can't have a kid right now. She's like, look, I'm on birth control. I'm not going to get pregnant, but just so you know, I have a whole box of plan Bs at home. Like, it's going to be fine. I was like, oh, red flag number two, you have a whole storage-sized box of plan B at home? <laughs> like, that's supposed to be plan B. You're not supposed to just keep it on hand. <laughs> fucking water in a hurricane. I was like, red flag number two. And then she was like, we never really spend enough time together. I was like, because you're 26, married with a husband and two kids. Like, we're not going to spend that much time together. And so she kept wanting more and more from me. 
And eventually I was, I ended up ending it with her. I had to like break up with my teacher. Um, <laughs> your, your face was like, oh, it was like, yeah, that was me too. I was like, Jesus. And it was fucked up because like I was smart about it. The second that started happening, like the little like proto drug dealer in me before I actually sold drugs was like, I need to get a separate burner phone so I can text her, but no one can fucking know about it. So if my parents find my phone, they won't see any of these messages. So I had like a cheap little phone that I got at a gas station that I used to text her with. And that's what I used to break... <laughs> that's what I used to break up with her with, but I still had that on me. Uh, I was smart, because the person who ended up getting caught sleeping with her didn't hide his text messages on his phone. And his mom found him. I was like, mm, see, this is why I'm going to succeed in life. And you're not going to like, I, I, like, looking back now, I feel like Hillary deleting those emails. I was like, I'm killing this shit up here. 30,000? Like, get the fuck out. So, I break up with her. She gets caught sleeping with this guy. She has to resign. She ends up leaving her youth past her husband and going to be a lesbian in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I think. Uh, that's what happened with her. But my, like, weird sexual escapades didn't end there because I was still in this odd place. And I was, like, trying to, like, just, like, trying to, like, channel this energy somewhere. And it was in the early days of the internet uh, when Craigslist was first starting. So I was like, well, this looks like a viable second option for me. Like Craigslist, like misconnections and like uh, men seeking men sections. And so I was scrolling through it and it was like a weird early form of it. And it was much sketchier than it already is now, which is really sketchy to begin with. <laughs> but like I never found anyone that I really wanted to have sex with. It just never like clicked for me. But what I did end up doing was like, I found this guy who was looking for people to take pictures of their tongues and to sell him pictures of their tongues, just not do anything, just like stick your tongue out of your mouth or it might be like, do it outside in the park. And it's like, okay, I'll take a picture of my tongue in my park. And so we ended up like negotiating out a price to where I would sell him pictures of my tongue. Uh, and th- for me, this was like a really kind of cool. I felt like all punk rock about it. I was like, I don't care. I'll send pictures of my tongue to anybody. Like, I'm making money off of it. And that was like my way to like rebel against everything around me. But it was, <laughs> looking back on it now, like, thank God nothing bad happened. Because what would happen, I had that burner phone still. And so I would take pictures of my tongue with that phone on it. Instead of texting it to him, I would like upload it on a computer and put it on like the old form of the thumb drive. And I would drive to the only McDonald's in our town. And McDonald's is our meetup spot. And he would go and he would order like a meal and be sitting at a table. And it was like a fucking little drug drop off. Like I'd walk up and like go in and have my friend sitting in the car, like waiting with a gun because it's te- small town Texas. Everyone has guns. Waiting with a gun in case something went bad. Uh, and I'd sit down and I'd like slip him like the thumb drive across the table and he'd slip me like the cash like back across the table. It was really, he was actually oddly respectful. He never like tried to like cross any boundaries. Like he never tried to fuck me or like pay me to fuck me until uh, the one time where I was like, you know, I've been sending you pictures of my tongue this whole time. Like, do you not have any fantasies about like fucking me or anything like that? He's like, oh, I do. I have tons of them all the time. He's like, I just didn't want to ruin what we've got going on. This is a really great thing. Uh, this is good for me. This is a hard relationship to find. I'm not fucking this up. <laughs> So I was like, look, like, you know, if the price is right, that might be something I would be into. Like, that might be something I'd be willing to do with you or for you. He's like, okay, well, let me think about that. And so, like, a couple weeks went by, which was weird, because usually met up once a week to, like, get pictures. I didn't hear from him for, like, a week or two. 
Uh, and finally, he's like, I thought about what you said. Uh, and it's like, I'd be down for that. He's like, I just don't want to, like, get caught in some sort of police sting. Because I'm still, like, 16 years old. And this dude's, like, in his 40s. So this is definitely illegal. Like, way illegal. Uh, this dude would go to prison. But still me being trying to be punk rock, I was like, yeah, fuck the system. I don't care. Age is just a number. What do we all really know about life anyways? <laughs> And so I ended up blowing this guy behind a dumpster at the Walmart, not the Walmart, the uh, McDonald's. The Walmart was a different guy. (laughs) 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 Yeah. And making like 600 bucks to like blow this guy. But it like threw me into like this like odd existential like crisis for like a year afterwards where I didn't fuck anybody. Because his cum was the worst tasting thing I'd ever had in my mouth. I don't know what he did. He just smoked like 12 packs a day and ate only red meat and like avoided pineapples at all costs. It was so bad. It was so bad. And it, I don't know. That, that, there's no ending to that story, really. That, that's kind of the ending, like the, the money shot, if you will, of the story. Uh, yeah, yeah. Weird sexual angst in small towns, you guys. It's it's a real thing. It's real. At least I didn't fuck a donkey. Like that's super prevalent. I didn't have like three friends who I know for a fact to fuck some sort of donkey. So they just lived on a farm and needed something to put the penis inside, and a pumpkin wasn't available. So, uh, uh, all right, yeah, that's that's all. That's all I'm doing for you all. Thanks. Awesome, awesome, awesome. You guys having a fun time so far, huh? Yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys for being a part of the experience. Um, this is great. Um, all our fun folks that needed to go to some places elsewhere have gone elsewhere. So now uh, it's my turn to share my own story for my own show. <laughs> um, again, thank you guys for being in the space. And uh, woo! <laughs> cool. All right. Um, like all, all good stories, uh, this story takes place at a... A Grateful Dead cover band concert in 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 Nebraska, <laughs> of all places, uh, which is where I'm originally from. I was at this uh, at this uh, concert with these two these two girls I knew, and uh, one of them came over to me and she was like, "Hey, uh, my friend at this concert, um, my friend old man has uh, some pretty mellow acid. Do you want to try some of this?" Red flag should have just been the name Old Man. He, he was on the side. He was in the side of the of the of the venue, selling like these leather watches with emeralds on them. And he was like thirty. He was like a little bit. He's older than me, but younger than my dad. It was not old man. It was not. You know where I came from. So we got these these sugar cubes from Old Man. <laughs> And he's like, uh, here, what are you guys gonna do? And she said, we're gonna go, uh, my friend had a, a jacuzzi in her backyard, and we're gonna go do this, this, this mellow acid and uh, <laughs> go to the jacuzzi. And he's like, all right, have fun. These are pretty kind of strong. And I was like, I thought you said they were mellow. <laughs> And he's like, oh, you know, 110, what's the... And I was like, what the... What do you mean? There's a, you've never done acid before. The difference between 1 and 10 is <laughs> brain damaging uh, for a temporary period of time. Um, 
And we, we, we did them, we popped them in, um, and then we started leaving uh, the, the venue. And as like a premonition for the night, we're just walking, just on like the pavement, and my friend uh, Chelsea just, she just runs into this bench, like full, just takes her legs out and she just falls. And it was like a great foreshadowing for how sometimes things just come out of nowhere <laughs> and you gotta deal with it. Because, I mean, we got into the car, if you've ever done LSD before, maybe it takes like an hour or so before you start to feel some things, kick some things, and this was like 15 minutes, and I was like, uh-oh, like this is gonna, I don't know what's going on. So we drive, and we finally, we get to her place, uh, um, and she, she has trouble opening the door to this place. I thought she like lost her key or something, but she jimmies it up and like wedges it in, and we, we eventually get into this girl's house. Um, we make our way through the back, and we get outside. Uh, we also stumble upon her little dog, which was uh, both blind uh, and couldn't hear. So like she touched it, and it just freaked out. And it's like, well, why do you have this thing? It doesn't know anything that's going on. So this dog was now a new character involved in the story, entrance, entrance of blind and deaf dog. Um, so we go outside, open up the screen door, and we go outside the jacuzzi. Uh, we don't know what to wear, and acid is now making you feel a little goofy, so now we all just get naked into this hot tub. So now we're naked in the jacuzzi, um, maybe 30, 40 minutes into this LSD, and I'm looking around at the trees, and they are going nuts, and I'm like, things are, this is not mellow, all right? I think I've been around the block a few times to know that one thing of acid shouldn't do this so much. And there's also the thing with LSD, because perception is totally messed up with who you want to interact with. Because I thought they were laughing really hard in the jacuzzi, and I thought they were laughing really hard at me because this was the first time I really experienced like good, real acid, and it was doing this to me. And they were in the mood of like, oh, we gotta babysit him now. Like we gotta, we gotta do that. So I was under this guise of like, oh man, oh god, I'm, I can't believe this is happening. This is crazy. But <laughs> slowly through <laughs> mental assimilation, we should, uh, my friends like we, she's like we we can't be here. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, this is not my house. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> she, this is her friend's house who has gone in Colorado, and her parents, she didn't think her parents were in anyone's home. And she knew she had a jacuzzi, so she's like, I know how to jimmy her door and get in there and just dip, have a little dip, just dip for a while and with some mellow acid, and then we were just gonna drive away. But turns out the mellow acid turned out to be extreme acid, and now I'm trapped in this house that I should not be at. I should not be here, I should not be at this house at all. So, uh, I start putting my plan into action. I, I'm like, I'm gonna save the day, all right? So I, I get out of the jacuzzi, um, naked, shivering, uh, I go into the house, and I've, I'm looking for towels, all right, for to get everyone out to do this this darn thing. Um, 
I'm sorry, I'm just, <laughs> just naked, dripping wet, walking through this person's house, opening up cupboards, taking little towels, anything that's like towel shape, towel form, I am grabbing it, trying to rescue the day. Um, so I'm in this hallway, grabbing towels, grabbing anything. Um, at the end of the hallway, um, this door slowly opens up. <laughs> And this old lady peeks out. And she's like, hello? Run. Run, get out. I am naked, dripping wet in a stranger's house, opening up cabinets. She's never seen me before. I scream and I run out of there. I stumble across the dog. I almost trip over it. It's like, I'm like the same part of him now. Like, I have no idea what's going on. We're like the same. And I, I, I rush out of the screen door. I'm like, we gotta go. There's a lady that knows we're here. So we grab our clothes and run and hop over this fence in their backyard. So now it's 5 a.m. and we're just naked running with our clothes in the middle of downtown Lincoln. Looking like a scene, looking completely not a part of anything at all. Try to get it together. We start. We got I'm like I got. We got to go to a park, reconvene, um, get someone to help us out. We start booking it to this park that's close by, and I see there's people at the park, like hanging out there, like hood, like hoodlums, like who, who spooky people. I'm like, who knows what's going on? But the thing is, if you're naked with a bunch of clothes running at a park, no matter who's at that park, they're gonna leave. They're gonna run. They're gonna leave. They're gonna let you have the park. They're gonna. It's gonna be all yours. You can have that part. <laughs> so I, I, we, we get to the park and we start putting our clothes there and I start trying to put together whatever address I'm at into my phone to send to a friend to get me. If you've ever been on LSD and tried to use your phone, you know that's impossible. You know it's one of the hardest tricks in the book. Um, somehow I struggle and manage to do it. I manage to get the address and call my best friend Nolan and send it to him. I wait. He doesn't answer. I'm like, it took so long to get to him. And I can't believe he didn't answer. His roommate eventually answered. And I got my friend Derek to come pick us up at like 5 a.m. We still didn't put our clothes on. We are just naked sitting at this park, like looking at his car, waiting for him to pick us up. He's like freaked out because he had no idea what he was getting himself into. He's, now he's just bringing three trippy kids over at his house, naked for a sleepover. <laughs> so we, and at this point, I feel so frustrated. I feel frustrated because that girl lied to me, bringing me into this situation. She's like, yeah, it's my house, it's my place. Yeah, it's it's all gonna be fine. It's and I'm not breaking into a person's house at all. You're not gonna have to experience talking to a naked, or you're gonna be naked. Dripping wet, talking to an old lady, tripping balls. She didn't. I didn't want. I didn't want that to happen. So I was frustrated on these things that just conversed, and also proud of myself for rallying the troops, rallying the general consciousness of everyone in the group, being like, I know we got to get out of here, and I know some people who can save us. So I feel proud and also exhausted that I've done so much. Um, and I remember, <laughs> lastly, that kind of happened before they. People came and picked up my two friends. I just stayed at my friend's house um, all the rest of the day. As we like finally came out to the back porch and we were just like a general like sigh of like, whoo, we got out of there, didn't we? Like, oh boy. 
Um, and I was so like, gosh, I can't believe this girl lied to me and all this stupid shit she did. I am like, I was so angry at her. And uh, she pulls a little cigarette out, she puts it in her mouth, and she's fumbling for a lighter. She's like, she looks at me and she's like, do you have a lighter? And I'm like, I've done enough. <laughs> and that's going to do it for my story. Thank you guys for hearing me out. Hey, we got a lot of uh, awesome, awesome, awesome more storytellers coming up. Uh, this next guy, he runs a show called When We Were Young, down at the New Movement. Uh, comedians saying jokes, looking at baby pictures. It's a silly good time. Check it out sometime. Here comes Andrew Cooksey. What's up, guys? Got a story to tell you guys about my cousin. Uh, Cover some dark themes, but I like to think they're darkly humorous. Uh, I'll start by giving you a little background on my cousin. Uh, he's older than me. I guess he's, he's about 40-something now. But uh, he was in the Navy when he was younger. He got kicked out of the Navy. Uh, he's, he got caught on his ship while they were at port uh, smoking crack with prostitutes. <laughs> which the Navy frowns upon, apparently. Uh, so he's that kind of guy, he kind of fell, fell down the crack hole for a while, just kind of got into a crack real big here in Austin for a long time. And then he, he, he finally cleaned up his act. He was doing great, he got married. He was living here in Austin, he had two daughters. Seemed like a normal dude. Then uh, him and his wife, they decided they were gonna spice up their relationship by swinging. So they started going to swinger parties and they're, you know, they're having fun, they're banging strangers. You know, that's what they're into. He discovers while he's going to these parties that he really likes having sex with dudes. Just now at 35, he's discovering this. So he's like, this is fun, I'm gonna start banging dudes. So he goes on Craigslist and he's looking for dudes to bang, as one does. And um, he finds this kid, a 14-year-old kid. And uh, he, he, he meets up with this kid, he starts a relationship with this kid. He's 36 years old. Uh, the kid's parents find out. They freak out. He tries to go to Mexico with the kid. Now, he doesn't... In his mind, it's not kidnapping. In his mind, it's... Yeah. Yeah, Alan's laugh is great. Give it up for Alan's laugh. I'm sure you'll hear more of it. But, uh... Yeah, so uh, he, he goes to Mexico, and in his mind, it's a, it's a romantic getaway. In the mind of the law and this child's parents, it's kidnapping. Um, the kid was down for it, though. But, I mean, he was 14. So they, they, they get him. He gets arrested in Mexico. He spent some time in a Mexican jail, which I hear from him is really fun. Uh, he ends up getting off really easy, though. He gets, like, 10 years probation for all of that, which is amazing for being Texas. And, uh, you know, he was, he was real good about it for about three months. And then after about, after about th three months, he hits the kid up again. And they, they rekindled their relationship. And this time, the parents are really upset. They're like, could you re please just please stop having sex with our child? And he was like, no. So... Um, what he does, again, he tries to go to Mexico with the kid. This time he makes it from Austin to Kyle before getting caught. Didn't quite make it to Mexico this time. And uh, so he got arrested again for the same shit. And uh, he gets offered a plea bargain. 
for 15 years, and he turns that down because he feels that if he tells the real story, the jury will sympathize with him <laughs> loving a young boy <laughs> and going on a romantic getaway to Mexico with him twice. So he turns down the 15-year plea bargain. Uh, he ends up getting 45 years. <laughs> 40, 45 years. Now, I guess what he forgot was that he's in Texas, and then he fucked a young boy, and Texas Judd's... A Texas judge does not like that. That's just not a thing a Texas judge is in for. So the judge called him a monster, like, in the sentencing hearing, called him a monster, gave him 45 years with no parole. So he's in prison for, like, ever now. He went in at 36. You don't live into your 80s in prison, typically. So there's that, but it's great. He, uh, he's been writing letters a lot from prison. He's trying to get me to go there. And, like, he's... <laughs> Every time he writes me a letter, it's kind of, he kind of like, he's like, you know I'm not a pedophile, right? It's like, yeah, you are. Like, one of, one of the letters he wrote me, he told me this joke, which I'll spare you the details of the joke, but it had to do with a man in a van and a young boy. And then after the joke, in the letter, he's like, you know I'm not that guy in the van, right? Because clearly, he just doesn't know, you know. He, in his mind, he's fine, you know. He's had a young boyfriend, and they tried to go to Mexico, and the parents got mad, and the police got mad. He's in prison, but uh, he's great. He got in prison. He uh, immediately shaved his head and got a last Airbender arrow tattoo, which doesn't seem like he's trying to appeal to children at all with that, <laughs> right? Uh, he's just—it's a—it's a—it's a sad story. It really is. Uh, but he's. He's really positive. He actually, he, he keeps writing me letters and he keeps trying to get me to go visit him. Because he's, he's like in Beaumont right now, in some prison in Beaumont, and he's like, yeah, just come out. You can bring your girlfriend. Like, that's just, that's the best idea for a date ever. Just go to prison and visit my pedophile cousin. But uh, I, actually, I actually have a letter from him that he sent me from prison if you guys want to hear it. It's pretty good. Pretty good. I don't know. I'm gonna try to show you guys the handwriting on it if you can see it from here. It's really nice. <laughs> Look at that. Look at that handwriting. Confirm for the rest of them. That's good handwriting, right? 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 Let's read it. Okay, this is from my cousin. He's now probably 40 something years old in prison. Andrew, what's going on, boy? With an I. <laughs> Your mom said you wanted to write me, and dude, you have no idea how much that means to me. I haven't written him yet. <laughs> he was adopted, I just kind of forgot about him, you know. Uh, <laughs> now that I'm some creep weirdo to the world, the people who know me and maintain a relationship know that ain't me. I'm not going to defend myself, but my current boyfriend is younger also. <laughs> Prison does not change, you guys. He, do he don't think it's weird. I don't either. And that's all that matters. You have no idea how many people hate on me. But we just blow them off. Is it that important to them? I made a horrible mistake, and I get what I deserve. Well, I guess, see, he goes, he goes back and forth between not having done anything wrong and getting what he deserves. This is real, it's fun. It's all my fault, and I feel horrible. But seriously, I'm no predator to him or anyone. I'm just a guy who takes children from their home to other countries. <laughs> what he does. There I go defending myself. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. 
frighteningly self-aware at points. <laughs> it's not what I think. It's the truth and what my friends tell me. KK, enough of that shit. <laughs> Looks like he switches pins at this point. <laughs> it's thinner. <laughs> turns out, this all turns out to be not that bad. I'm closer to God than I could ever ask. I get to help out blind people because I'm at a disability unit. And I have my friends and family still. The ones who are still around are the ones... Hold on, guys. That really love me. I am not around anymore, so I guess I don't really love them. I'm sorry. I go to church and work out a lot, so yeah. I'm also going to start writing my book soon. My Crazy Colorful Life. It's a terrible title. (laughs) Man, I've been there and done that. I don't have an ounce of fear, and I'm not going to lie. There are some scary dudes here. Dot, 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 and in Mexico. Damn, if I let anyone intimidate me. Killers, cartel, segregation. I don't know. I guess you experience segregation in Mexican jail. They keep trying to lock me down, but have no grounds to stand on. The guard said she saw me and Chris messing around, but couldn't prove it. Dude, I've spent 95 days in the hole over crap like that in the last two years, but I still have no write-ups, all because people love to hate. Oh, Chris is my BF, and get this, a Hermie. That's right, a hermaphrodite. It's juicy, guys. Where did I leave off? Whoa, huh? It's cool. Kids had a fucked up life. Mom had AIDS. Autistic, Hermy, and now prisoned, all by 18. He has no one but God and me. Anywho, write me and tell me what's going on. I'm at my unit permanently, and it's close to you. Yep. I want you to come check this out. P.S. There's a P.S., guys. P.S. Dude, it would mean a lot if you came to visit. It's only like 45 minutes away. Since they only allow two at a time to visit, I can put your chick, or whoever you're with, if you give me their name, address, and age. Like I said before, that sounds like a great date, right guys? And bring my girlfriend to, to prison. That's the, that's the letter, guys. That's, uh, that's the story. I'm sorry to share that with you guys, but uh, there's a man out there in prison with a last arbiter tattoo on his head who thinks it's completely alright to take children to Mexico. Thank you. <laughs> Andrew Cooksey, everyone! Give it up for him! Give it up for Andrew Cooksey, give it up for Great time, huh? Yeah. Yeah, hell yeah, man. Hey, this is also, uh, this is, how, hey, how much did it cost to have a fun time tonight? Zero. Yeah, it's free. I try to make it free. Try to make it fun. Here's a little good vibes jar. I put it out in a little table over there. Uh, throw some. There's a dollar in there. Throw some. I got. I had someone throw some weed in here before one time. Throw whatever you want. Anything's appreciated. Uh, just trying to chip to peep, chip around to friends who have uh, made this show what it is. So thank you guys so much. Are you guys ready for your next storyteller? Yeah. Oh yeah. This next guy is personally one of my favorite comics in town. Really great comic, and uh, I love this man a lot. Very good friend of mine. Give it up for Alan. Everyone, but. I appreciated Andrew steering us toward the darkness um, because I do want to tell you guys about a car accident I was in. Parts of it will be funny, yes. Um, 
much like life. Guys, people who have uh, seen me do comedy in town have probably heard me talk about this before. Uh, but I like to, I just keep coming back to this story over and over again. I think in hindsight, it really did play a much larger role in who I turned out to be than I wanted to acknowledge at the time. So let's go on a journey, shall we? When I was 20 years old, I was going to this little college called Presbyterian College. It's a Presbyterian college. Um, <laughs> down at the crossroads in South Carolina. Um, South Carolina has very bad roads um, and one very good German restaurant. Really great, it's called Gasthaus zur Ellie. Check it out if you're ever in Prosperity, South Carolina which is not as prosperous as the name implies. Um, I, was a, I was a German student uh, in college, and my German department would, every semester, take a trip to this really, really wonderful German restaurant. It's great. Um, and my sophomore year, when I was 20 years old, it was this time of year, and I keep coming back to it. Ugh, guys, we were coming back uh, my girlfriend at the time was driving the car, and in the back seat we had uh, the two German exchange students at the school that year. Their names were Leah and Sarah, and a third dude named Luke. And as we were... That's right. I was uh, set to exchange with one of those girls the next semester I was going to go over and live in Karlsruhe, which is a nice little town on the French border. And uh, as we were driving back, uh, we saw that there was an ambulance coming from behind us with its lights on. And then the next thing I remember, I was standing on the side of the road. I'd evidently been out for about half an hour. Then I'd woken up, and I'd been like speaking and walking, but I didn't make any sense. Just jumbled nonsense. And then I turned to a man I didn't know, and I was like, hey, wait a minute. Were we in a car accident? Uh, which we had been. He explained to me that the ambulance had hit us going quite fast. And he was like, are you okay? And I thought about it, and I was like, yes, but you have 90 seconds until I enter shock, so I would prepare a stretcher. I was very calm. I pretty much nailed it to the T. 90 seconds later, my legs gave out. They tied me down carried me into the ambulance, and as I was being carried into the ambulance, I heard one of the paramedics say, two fatalities. But I was still pretty out of it. I didn't know who was dead, you know? So, on that ambulance, I asked many times, you know, was Caroline okay? Was my girlfriend okay? Confirmed that she was, started calming down. Turned out that the two German girls in the backseat had been killed pretty much immediately. One had an aneurysm in her heart, the other in her brain. It was not a pretty thing, really. And when I learned the extent of what had happened, and that I was okay, that my girlfriend was okay, that Luke was okay, I was overcome with such a profound wave of relief and happiness like I have never felt. I think it was the happiest I've ever felt in my entire life, realizing how narrowly 
I had skated past it, and I was all finger guns all night. I was just, like, flirting with nurses, having a grand old time. I, uh, the nurse I stayed with that night told me, Hey, Alan, you had a concussion. You have to stay in the hospital overnight. So how about you do all the morphine you want? Which, that'll calm you down, let me tell you. Don't know what y'all's relationship to morphine is, but it will soothe your nerves. <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, I turned down any sort of like psychological counseling at the time. I thought I was fine. Uh, it turned out that that fineness was a little bit of the problem, you know? Because I felt nothing. Nothing at all except glad I'm alive, you know? And I started interrogating that feeling. There was a period for a while there where I was very afraid I might be a sociopath, which is not something sociopaths worry about, it turns out. Um, they're very calm about the whole thing. But I don't know, I felt this like emptiness, this lack of response to it which did weigh heavy on me. I kind of focused all of my attention on my girlfriend because she, you know, she'd been driving. She was devastated. It wasn't her fault, but she felt like it was her fault. It's like, there's always like a survivor's guilt, but it's worse when you feel like you did the thing, you know? And uh, there was this period for a long time after that where frequently, you know, being the good Presbyterian college students that we were, um, she would be just sobbing and ask me, you know, how could God let this happen? And I spent the better part of that semester, really, uh, holding a crying girl and explaining that, well, let's table the issue of whether God exists or not, where, you know, jury's still out at best. Um, <laughs> the important thing to keep in mind is that we live in a universe of chaos and roiling energy and matter that swirls about, and sometimes it slams into each other very, very hard. And we're not dead, so, you know, trying to put a story on it isn't going to help you deal with the situation you have now. Which, in hindsight, may have led me to a dark place, you know? I don't know, I started articulating, like, a much more materialist view of the universe through that moment. I also started standing much closer to the road to feel the cars go by, so I may have had... <laughs> may have been a little more affected than I realized. They go real fast, though. I don't know, I thought myself into a corner after that for a while. And I remember a couple years after that, I was living in New York, went there to try to be a poet, which is a silly thing to do. Even if you're great at it. Um, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't know. I've been thinking a lot. Like, my view of reality became much more determinist, you know? I was really dedicated to a universe of particles slamming into each other. And I got fixated up in my head when I was in New York on the idea that, like, really, it's like organic matter is just, like, it's just the same stuff in, like, a very dynamic system. And I got real fixated on the idea that, like, there was nothing really that special 
about things that are alive compared to things that aren't, you know? I was like, human life is like rocks and dirt. And I would just walk around my neighborhood and think how if it burned to the ground, like who'd miss it really? Which is not the most positive headspace. And then I had this fucking vision, guys. <laughs> of a universe expanding from like a single point, right? And all of that matter swirling outward continuously in ever more complex shapes and patterns, um, some of which are named like Leia and Sarah for a time. And like how weird it is to be a shape matter makes and then erodes it while it's going through it, you know? Like a little eddy swirling backwards and uh, it's just lovely. Like what fucking splendor, you know? And then I got so fascinated with the contrast between that splendor and how incredibly selfish I can still be day in and day out of my life and started doing comedy. Like, that's the big joke, right? It's like there's this incredibly spectacular universe that I have the privilege to be a part of. And then I'm like, oh, I'm bored. <laughs> like, guys... I'm sure most of you are aware that, like, you know, when the universe first came into being, it was hydrogen and helium, right? And all of the heavier atoms got forged inside stars when they went supernova. And that means that if a star blows up just right, eventually all the little bits of that star just start, like, selling lattes to each other all the time. <laughs> Doing, like, weird storytelling shows and filling out paperwork. And... I like that sound. It was light, it was cheerful, it was good. Um, you should do light, cheerful, good things. I don't know what I'm doing right now, guys. But it is fun to tell stories to people. That's pretty much my story. Where is uh, our host, Joey? Subscribe it, hear your voice and laughter. That's kind of fun. Second Saturdays uh, here all the time, 8 o'clock free. Thank you guys. I love you a lot. My name's Joey Zimmerman. Bye-bye. International.